Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Is that okay? Is that alright? There we go. We're elected. It's always, for me anyway, a great joy to be back at Ballyhalbert. I love coming down here. It's not, cause, it's not just because of the scenery. It's great to see you all again. I mean, I, I don't know how many years I've been coming here, um, enjoying your fellowship, and I always go away encouraged. And yes, in case you ask, I will be visiting the hairdresser soon. <laughs> my wife, has, uh, she's, on, she's on my case at the moment, but our hairdresser just opened her. Um, it's been a challenging year, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, but a year or two where maybe some of us have had a bit more time to talk to the Lord or read our Bibles, uh, or, you know, just go for walks, maybe. Um, it's up, it created opportunities as well as challenges, didn't it, this year? As, as is always the case. Always the case. And that's only the physical side of things and the whole issue with COVID and, and all that kind of thing. But we're also in a spiritual challenge in these days, aren't we? Not everybody jumps with joy every time you mention God. You know, there, there are certain taboo words. If you want to spoil a good party, just walk in the middle and say, you know, God or, or the word sin. Or if you really want to get people angry, just mention the word repentance, you know. And if you really want to get them riled, just mention the word hell, you know. I mean, if you really want to be a spoil sport these days, it's that easy, isn't it? Uh, Tony Campolo tells a story when he's on an airplane, he's an American evangelist, and he's also a professor in sociology, you know, and he says if he's not too tired and he wants to talk to somebody and they ask him, you know, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a professor in sociology, and the conversation gets going. He says, when I'm tired and exhausted, and they ask me, what do you do? He just says, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> he said, and I get peace and quiet for an hour. Things have changed. Things have changed. And yet here in County Down, believe it or not, you're probably in one of the most blessed counties in Ireland. And Andrew Mundown, we're still benefiting from a revival that took place in 1859. And incidentally, that is when the Irish famine happened. And you think about the juxtaposition of those things. The whole country was ravaged by famine and all kinds of scars that are still there today. And yet in the midst of all that, or at the end of all that, there was a huge revival. And some of our churches that we know and, and, and go to actually started at the end of that revival, like the Crescent Church in Apsley Hall and places like that. Quite interesting. And we still reap the benefits of something that happened spiritually 150 years ago. Now, one of the things I've really enjoyed this year is I, I love to go, especially during the winter months when it's dark, I love to read about the kings and the prophets of the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that all of Scripture is inspired by God, and it's for our benefit to read all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. You know, even books like Leviticus, which remind you more of a butcher shop than anything else, but it's good to read the whole Word of God because then you see the context of the arrival of the Messiah. You know, why we need to be saved by grace, as we have been reminded this morning, because it doesn't work when it's our works. We still have the problem of our sin. Even, even though we can be really good people and do lots of good things, we still have an issue with our sin. And, and we all let people down. And none of us are perfect. Somebody wrote a book once, everybody's perfect until you get to know them. My wife discovered that quite quickly. 
you know, and she married me. And, and so I, I love to read the Old Testament, and I want to recommend that you read about the prophets. A good chunk of the Bible is the prophets. And, and become familiar with their context and when they were around and what was the country like and how did people view God in their day. And yet God was the God of Israel. He gave Israel the word of God that we read today. And yet that didn't guarantee that the nation followed God. And what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the prophets, a fairly well-known prophet called Elijah. Sometimes we sing the song, these are the days of Elijah, but, it, but they're not really, you know. That was a long time ago. But we can learn a lot from Elijah's time. And I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's a, it's a fascinating life, the life of Elijah. Incidentally, you know, when you read about the life of people, you soon realize whether they should be idolized or not, you know. And one of the interesting things in the Bible is that they're heroes who could easily, and some were, hero-worshipped and idolized. God gave us the whole story, warts and all. Even some of the greatest people in the history of the world, in fact, the Bible says some of the world was not even worthy of some of these people, and yet they were people with faults, and they let God down. Uh, one, one such person was Asa, King Asa, who, who, who was a good king, it says. He was a good king. But during the end of his life, he let God down. He, instead of relying on God, who would have given the victory over all his enemies, he, he took the gold and the silver out of the temple and he bought mercenaries. He bought help and God was angry with him and said, what would you do that for? I would have given you even the guy that you gave the gold and the silver to. You'd have had victory over him as well and you're asking for his help over another, you know. And here's what it says, and just a wee verse before we read in Kings. Here's what God said to Asa. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now that's in Second Chronicles 16.9, but this is what, that's what God said to Asa. The eyes of the Lord, he sent Hananiah the prophet, he says, the eyes of the Lord are searching all over the earth, the whole earth. What for? To judge you, to condemn you? It says here, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Isn't that an amazing thought? And I just want to show you a couple of examples this morning where the Lord did that. And Elijah's one of them. And in chapter 19, Elijah, verse 1, it breaks in where Elijah panics. Okay, He's been doing good stuff, Elijah. He just turned up out of nowhere, it says in chapter 17, Elijah Tishbite. And he went straight to the king. You know, he went for the jugular. The nation was turning away and generally had turned away from God. The nation of Israel, the northern tribes. It was a dark time in the history of Israel. And in fact, the northern part of the country were not going to have any good, team, good kings at all. And it just got worse and worse. Elijah cared about his, his nation. You know, many, many people only care about themselves and their families. But as you grow and you get to know the Lord and, and you become a mature Christian, you should care about more than that. You should care about the things that God cares about. As he gives us his heart. As he shows us his will. As he shows us his view of humanity and his view of our world. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world. 
It takes a while to get, 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 get around that, doesn't it? Because he always sends people into your life that are hard to love, including yourself sometimes. But, but yeah, Elijah cared about his nation, and I hope we care about ours. Despite what's going on at the, at, at the head of our nation, at the top of our nation, I mean, if you want to really get discouraged, just put the news on it eh? or read the papers. There's not a lot of good news out there. And there's not much mention of God. Although I did notice yesterday in the Saturday Times that there was a big article on John Stott, which was very, very positive, very interesting, because he would be 100 years old this weekend if he was still alive. Very famous, well-known evangelical theologian. So Elijah came on the scene and he said to Ahab, there's not going to be any rain here for three years. You're not listening to God, so God's going to turn up the volume. That's basically what he's saying. And sometimes God allows events to take place to make people think. And I wonder, is that what has happened over the last year? I'm not saying God did it deliberately. But sometimes when people are not listening and they ignore God and they actually are so proud that they deny the existence of God and they just want to be their own gods, and they have other idols, which was the case of, of Israel, that all kinds of other idols from other nations, because that was cool. And today, you know, a lot of people do things because it's cool, everybody else is doing it. Even change laws of our land, why? Because everybody else is doing it, or we're told everybody else is doing it, which is often not true. But God doesn't get much of a mention. And, and in many, many circles now, it's not cool to believe in God. You almost treat it like you're uh, medieval and you haven't been enlightened, which is a popular word in certain circles. And that was the kind of environment Elijah was in. They were happy to worship the Baals and the Ashoths, and some of that was associated with gross immorality because the surrounding nations were doing that. And Ahab the king married Jezebel, who came from that kind of background, and then her daughter Athaliah ended up you know, Mary and the king of Judah, and that influenced that side of the, this story as well. And so after Elijah tells Ahab, there's going to be a famine, because you're not listening, God says to Ahab, you better get offside for a while, it's going to get rough. And Ahab, he went to a widow's house, the widow of Zarephath. And that's an interesting story. I'm just going to briefly go over uh, Elijah to save his time. And Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath and her son. And, and he hides there while the famine's on. And she only has a little drop of oil for her and her son to bake a last bit of food and die. But while Elijah was there, the oil never ran out. Interesting. God, the eyes of the Lord, searched the whole earth to see, to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. I wonder, did the Lord send Elijah to Zarephath's house, the widow's house, because she was a worshipper of God. Certainly she wasn't an idolater. I'm pretty sure Elijah would have brought that up. And while God saw the king and he sees the governments and what's happening to the nation, he cares about the widow and the orphan. He cares about the wee person. Incidentally, there's no mention of Elijah's background in the Bible other than he was a Tishbite from a wee village somewhere. It doesn't talk about his theological qualifications or his social standing or his class or his accent 
or his lack of education. God will use anybody who's fully committed to him. You see that with the disciples, don't you? They didn't go to the theological seminary of the rabbis. In fact, they accused them of that whenever they were starting to talk about God. Who gave you the right to... Well, the Word of God gives you the authority. The Holy Spirit. And God, he, he doesn't care about your qualifications or your titles. And all of those things or your social standing, he cares about the condition of your heart and where that is in reg with regard to him. Because Christianity, true Christianity, is an affair of the heart. And Elijah's heart was fully given to God. And God said to Elijah, you're my man. I want you to do this. He goes to Ahab, fearless. And then he goes to the widow's house to show the compassion of God and to show that God sees the widow and her son just as much as he sees the king and his wife too. And then after that, you find Elijah on a mountain, Mount Carmel, and he's taken on the idolaters. And not only does he stop the rain for a couple of years, he brings down fire from heaven. An amazing story in chapter 18. Brings fire down from heaven. He mocks the others. <laughs> he actually really pushes it, you know. He really, he gets stuck into the battle and 400 prophets of Baal are actually also slain. So he's in the battle because he cares about the direction his nation is going to. And we need to pray for our nation. And we need to care. Because you could argue it's not necessarily, certainly spiritually, it's not going in the right direction. But it's not new, is it? We read all the time in the Old Testament, a generation grew up that did not know God and did not know the word of God. But God is alive and he's powerful. And he can intervene again. And he can bring revival again. And he might do it in a way that totally surprises us. He always does. So, so, so you find Elijah, he's on the top of the mountain taking on the idolaters and he won that battle that day. And he thought, maybe that'll turn the nation around now when they see God bringing fire down from, from heaven. And eventually he brings back the rain. Elijah prays and God answers Elijah's prayer and brings the rain back. And you think, maybe that'll change their minds. Maybe they'll realize that Baal, who's a false god, who's a weather god, has no power at all. But the God of Israel, Jehovah, does have power over the universe and the weather and what's going on. I've seen an interesting program this week on cosmology. I don't know if you've seen it. Fascinating about how big is the universe. There's a galaxy for... They've discovered... A galaxy pretty much for every person living on the planet Earth at the moment. Seven billion people. They reckon so far they've discovered about seven billion galaxies. Now, we haven't even reached the end of our galaxy yet, you know. We're just in this little solar system. Humongous. And now they realize, they've come to the conclusion that there are actually other universes. That, that actually our universe may just be one of many. Cosmologists are humble people, actually. As scientists, they're one of the humblest group because they realize the limitations. And they're now discovering that there's black matter. There might be more in our universe than we can actually see. They've actually come to that conclusion. There's a huge chunk of our universe that's there, but they can't see it. Isn't that surprising? I wonder do they read the Bible. Elijah, he, he thinks, we must have got the victory now. We're on the mountain. We've, 
we've, we've defeated the false prophets. But as someone said once, one of the difficulties when you're on the mountain with God is there's not much food there. There's not much grass for the sheep on the top of the mountain, sure there's not. And we find that Elijah, after that great victory, hears that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, wants to kill him because they've killed many of the prophets of, of Baal. And he runs away from Jezebel. And he runs away and he hides again. And the Lord actually finds him. He sends his own servant. Elijah sends his servant away. So now he's on his own. The Lord finds him and he feeds him. He sends angels to feed him. I have an angel that feeds me every day. She's a fantastic cook. She makes wonderful bread. And the, the angels feed him. And, he, and, and the solution, the first solution for Elijah when he ran away was, you're exhausted, mate. You need rest. And sometimes that's what you need. God says, you need to look after your body. You need to rest it. You need to eat properly. And you need to watch your sleep patterns. And that's what God said to Elijah. First remedy for Elijah's problem. You see, running away, the panic was a symptom of something deeper. He was exhausted. I wrote down a few things that I found with Elijah. He was, um, not only was he exhausted, he was discouraged. He was depressed. He, he, he thought he was no better than anybody else because he hadn't turned the nation around. People hadn't changed as a result of these great miracles that he had performed. And so he, he had got himself into a, quite a sorry state. And the Lord said, first thing is physical. And then after that, it says here, we'll go to chapter 19 in case you think I'm not going to read any of it. Verse 1, when, ah when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. So that's when Elijah panicked. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He became suicidal. He was so discouraged and depressed. Isn't it interesting that we're hearing a lot these days about depression? You know, as a nation, as we turn in a certain direction, some may say that is the solution because man is a solution because man has reason and he can reason things out and science has the solution. That's why we've got the second highest death rate in the world at the minute when it comes to the pandemic. Just throwing that out. Just, just you know, we've still, still got some free speech, I think. Just throwing that out there to help us think, to say that people are looking for, to man for the solution, but man doesn't have all the solutions and all the answers. And we find here that Elijah, he's just lost his perspective. That's what happens when you get discouraged and you get depressed and you get hungry and grumpy and even see it in your children, your grandchildren. We had a barbecue yesterday and I knew the grandchildren were really grumpy until they got something to eat, you know. And that's only a wee bit of food. But other solutions are much deeper. 
because it goes deeper. When we go into our soul and our mental health, it's much deeper and there's no quick fix. Quoting a few verses that somebody doesn't, doesn't do. It takes a bit of time. And God's going to be gentle here with Elijah, who has a heart that is fully committed to him. God sees Elijah in his panic, in his loneliness. It says here in verse 4, He went on to the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Nothing's changed. What's the point? Have you ever got to that point? I want, I want just to highlight something here. Elijah was seen as the greatest of the prophets up until the Lord mentioned John the Baptist. In fact, some thought that the Lord was, or John the Baptist was Elijah, come back. That's how great he was. He never wrote a book. Interesting. But boy, was he a man of action. And here was this man who I would suspect would be hero-worshipped if he was around today. Big time. Idolized. And the Bible says he got so depressed, he had enough, and he wanted it all to end. But God knew his heart. And God knows your heart, my heart. And he cares. Our God cares. Don't let anybody tell you God doesn't care because of all the suffering in the world today. That is not true. Otherwise, Jesus would never have gone to the cross. He had, just, he had said from his heaven, his perfect Caribbean island up in heaven, he would have said, they're not worth it. But that's not what he said. And God comes alongside, says, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. Sometimes it's, God sends an angel to you, a friend or someone who cares enough because you don't even have the energy to eat for yourself. You don't even have the energy or the heart to help yourself. And sometimes that's how low we can get. And the Lord will send somebody along and say, come on, let's get out for a walk. Come on, let's. Isn't that wonderful when that happens, isn't it? Because somebody cares enough to take an interest in you or the Lord puts it in their heart to go and see you or call you take an think of somebody that you might be able to do that with it says here in verse 11 but the Lord said to him sorry verse 8 so he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai I would like some of that angel food myself actually that's pretty good stuff isn't it that's much better than these energy drinks that we drink you know that can give you a heart attack this is angel food, and, and with that food, he goes for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God's great at this. You know, lots of people have questions about God. It doesn't seem to kind of drop in their minds sometimes. That maybe God's got a question about you. God has questions too. If you read the life of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, Many, many times, Jesus asks the question. People will come up to him, you know, and they'd say, what do you want? Many, many times Jesus says, what do you want? Now, it's obvious what they want. They're blind and they're lame and they're sick. But he, he wants them to say that. 
It's like in the Garden of Eden when God, it says the voice of the Lord, called to Adam and says, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He planted the whole garden. He knew every tree in the garden. But he wanted Adam to think about where Adam was. That's the idea of the question, was to make you think. And sometimes when you're sure in your faith, don't preach it, people. Just ask questions to make them think. It's less imposing, isn't it? But it makes them think. Jesus was an expert at that. You know? He said to a woman one time at a well, she says, where's your husband? <laughs> he knew she'd been married five times. You know? But this was the first time she'd met Jesus. And so he just got the conversation going in the right direction. By the end of it, they were actually talking quite a deep theological way, in a, in a deep theological way about where you should worship God and how you should worship God. Interesting. God says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? By this time, he had slept and he had ate and he had drank. Maybe he was beginning to see things a little bit clearer now, which is what happens, isn't it? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Now, I want you to remember these idolatrous gods that Israel are worshipping now. You know, Baal was a storm god. He was a, he was a god of the weather. And he, he was the most powerful of these um, false gods. And God says to Elijah basically in this way, don't be worrying about the false gods. I'm the real God. I can really send a storm. Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. God was showing Elijah, he's still on the throne. He's still as powerful as he ever was. Nothing has changed there regarding God. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He will set up his kingdom. His will will be done. His kingdom will be eternal. Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God's plan is right on track and it's right up to date. And he said to Elijah, Elijah, don't sweat the small stuff. I am still in control, Elijah. Now, he didn't, if you notice, he didn't rebuke, rebuke Elijah. He just asked him a question. What are you doing here? I'm still God, Elijah. I'm still as powerful. But some people don't want to change. And it's not a question of intellect or winning an argument or being really good at apologetics so that you can convince them otherwise. It's whether they want to or not. And that's the big challenge, is that people decide in their own hearts if they want to follow God or if they don't want to follow God. And some people, even though they know there is a God, deliberately turn it and turn other people away from God. That's what it says in Romans chapter 1. It's not new. We better get used to it. It's a battle for hearts and for minds today, my friends. And Elijah was in the thick of it. And God says to Elijah, I'm still the same God, Elijah. I'm still in control. 
And then he says, it says here in verse 12, at the end of the verse, and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he rubbed his face in his cloak and went down and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, it's a bit like, you know, sometimes you can ask a question many different ways, can't you? What are you doing here? Or what do you want? You know, sometimes my mother would have said that to us when we would just run into the house and what do you just want? But there's other times she'd get along and say to you, what do you really want? What do you want for Christmas? You know, it's different. The Lord in a whisper now says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Come on. This isn't where you should be. I'm still the same God. You still have work to do. And Elijah goes over the same thing again. I've zealously served the Lord, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. What about the widow of Seraphath? She didn't bow to the prophets. But you see, Elijah had lost perspective. That's what happens to us, isn't it? Sometimes we lose our perspective. We lose our way a wee bit. And we don't see things clearly. And we need the Lord to say, come on now, let's see things through my eyes. That's where the Bible and the whole Bible is so important for us. Helps us put on God's spectacles. God's vision. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came. You're not getting out of this, Elijah. You need to go back and see that person. <laughs> you know that person you don't want to see? And you don't want to forgive? You don't want to ask forgiveness of? <laughs> Sooner or later, the Lord will give you the courage and the wisdom to say, you need to deal with this because you're still carrying it. It's affecting how you live. It's affecting your vision. Whatever it is in your life, you take it from the Lord. He'll speak to you through his word. But he says to Elijah, you're going to go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, he gives him a three-point plan. He says, I want you to name a new king for your enemies, a new king for Israel, and there's going to be a new king also for Judah. And, and, and here's your three-point plan. And by the way, sorry, the third point of the, of the plan was you're going to have Elisha take over from you. So you're going to appoint two new kings, sorry, and Elisha's going to take over from you. And if you read, if you think Elijah's something, you want to read Elisha. I mean, Elisha, it's just life everywhere he goes. It's like springtime. You know, everything he touches just comes to life. Even when he's dead and, and, and somebody touches his dead bones, somebody comes to life. Who does that remind you of? After years, centuries of darkness in Israel because of their idolatry, a saviour is born. The prince of life. Prince of peace. The one who not only gave life to others. A widow's son. Does that remind us of something? Elisha raised the widow's son. So Elijah. So the Lord Jesus. A man's daughter. Lazarus. Himself. You know every springtime when I see the daffodils. And I see all the buds coming. It just reminds me of the resurrection. It's like God saying... Hey, I'm still God. I still have power over death. I can raise the dead. And by the way, Elijah, you're going to hand it over to Elisha. And you'd think, when you read that at first, you think, well, Elijah's going to get demoted. But actually he doesn't. He gets promoted. He gets taken up into heaven in a whirlwind with a chariot of fire. And, and that's not the end of it. 
actually, this bit is only the beginning of Elijah's ministry. He comes back during the time of Jesus onto another mountain, the mountain of transfiguration. Think about that. Sometimes we have difficulty letting go of something and let somebody else do it. You know, maybe you're leading the praise or Sunday school or you're an elder, whatever it is. Maybe it's your job. And sometimes by not letting go, you're preventing God from promoting you to something better or something bigger or something wider. And sometimes it takes a crisis for, for you to let go, doesn't it, sometimes? But that's okay. God loves you. He has a plan, a better plan. And Elijah had no idea what was ahead of him when he handed over the mantle to Elisha. Elijah had no idea what was ahead. Friends, we have no idea what's ahead of us. The Bible says, Eye has not seen nor ear heard the things that... God has prepared for those that love him. We're going to get blown away. We think these cosmologists know something. We're going to meet the guy who made it all. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to learn what music really is and what singing really is all about. And you'll have all the time in the world to learn that piano you always promised yourself you'd learn. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. There's a lot in Elijah, isn't there? There's a lot there. I would encourage you to keep digging there because you'll find more and more gems. And Elijah was just, it says in the Bible, Elijah was just like you and me. It says that, book of James. They were just like you and me. And their ups and their downs, their mountains and their valleys, but God has his, has his eye on them. And God has his eyes on you and he sees your heart and he wants to, to strengthen you and encourage you he sent people along and the whole reason this church exists here is to encourage you to keep your eyes looking up and see the world through God's eyes and not through the papers or the TV or the government or, or your, sometimes your university lecture or whatever Amen Let's pray Father we thank you for your word we believe it's true in an age where there's so many lies and so many People say that they have the truth, Lord. We know that your word will remain even if heaven and earth passes away. So we build our lives on it, Lord. And we thank you for the example of Elijah. And we thank you that you're still the same God of the wind and the fire and the earth. You're still the God of the universe. And we have come together today just to remember your dear son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that Elijah reminds us of the one who was to come later who would raise the dead and who is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, help us trust you more. Strengthen our hearts, Lord. And may we be a blessing and a strength to others. Should it be a guardian angel or a messenger with some food, Lord, show us how we can encourage and bless maybe others who have fallen or been discouraged or who are in a dark place in their mind, Lord, we pray that we would be a blessing to the people around us. And we pray for our nation, Lord. They are taking decisions and going in directions, Lord, which are contrary to your word. And we, we would pray, Lord, that you intervene. We would pray, Lord, that you would raise up Elijah's and Elisha's and widows of Sarapath and their sons. And we pray that our children, Lord, will keep their eyes and their hearts fixed on you. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your patience.